and I think that's basically it. Are we ready and we're on? Are we almost ready, Dave? I think we are ready. Okay, good stuff. Welcome to Cloud Realities. We're a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that's unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shel Gazal. And I'm Rob Kernan. So we're live in London today at an event looking at FinOps, an important subject at the moment, I think. The world is primed for a big conversation about the economy and economic headwinds. So FinOps, I think, has raised to the top of the cloud conversation pile very quickly over the course of the last six or eight months. I think additionally, cloud also has been now prevalent in our lives for probably 10 years. And I think a lot of organizations over that period are getting to points of maturity and discovering some of the same issues with cloud, which is as you've been using it for a little while, the costs can mount up and you need to address those costs in in really practiced and sophisticated ways. So today we're gonna explore elements of that. We're live at an event hosted by Aptio and Capgemini. So thank you to the organizers for having us at the event. We're delighted to be here. Joining us today, uh, we are delighted to say it's Alison McIntyre, UK ambassador for the FinOps Foundation. Hi, Alison, good to see you. Hello. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. No, is that absolutely our pleasure. Do you wanna just introduce yourself and say a little bit about the FinOps Foundation? Yeah, Alison McIntyre. I come from Scotland. I've been working in industry and FinOps for the last few years. My background is infrastructure. I've been IT infrastructure my whole career. I'm soon to leave the industry, so I'm only an ambassador for the next month. So it's countdown. I'm trying to squeeze in as well, many opportunities right as I right possibly can. Yeah. Just in time. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that right at the top of your knowledge curve. That's, 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 yeah, that's yeah, where that's you've got that. me. Yeah. Perfect, um, perfect bit of timing. So I, I became an ambassador because of my involvement in the FinOps Foundation. For those of you listening that haven't come across the FinOps Foundation, finops.org. There is so much information on it. Hmm. Finox Foundation was, it's part of the Linux Foundation, built off the back of the move to cloud and the need to manage cloud spend. First off, Finops, not financial management. Hmm. Hmm. Financial management and DevOps, very important. But you will learn that when you go to finops.org. There's some distinctions in there, I'm feeling. Just to say a word on that. It's not just about the budget and paying the cost of cloud and allocating the costs out of cloud. At its heart, it's about getting the most value out of cloud. Mm. It's Mm. not necessarily about saving money. said that out loud. Everyone always, yeah, FinOps (laughs) is always optimization. But actually, at its heart, it's about getting the best value of every pound you spend in the cloud. And to do that, you need to know why you're spending it how you're spending it, where you're spending it, when you're spending it. Because with that information, you then make informed decisions. And to make informed decisions can only bring business benefit. And presumably how that correlates to business value. Yeah, yeah. And that's when you're in the, that's when you're really cruising, when you know the value of your spend. And I simplify it a lot and sort of say, would you be shocked if your cloud bill doubled next month? People go, yeah. I'm like, yeah, what if your sales quadrupled? Hmm. No, I'm hmm. not so bothered, are you? 
do you know the correlation between your cloud spend and your business value? Because if you don't, it's too financial and it's not business. So you've got the business, the operations, the finance. Which is, which is a, one of the many things cloud transformation brings, which is a move away from how IT has traditionally been managed, at mm. least for the last 10 or 15 or mm. even 20 years, which has been as a cost center. And so much of it hidden. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, people absolutely. talk about below the line, above the line, but I know that in my current organization, all the costs for our development environment, so all our, our VM farms for development, goodness knows where they came off. Yeah. Behind the line, <laughs> buried somewhere. But I guarantee you it came off somebody's budget at the very top level before budgets were created. So then when... When these same organisations are needing to pay for their whole route to live, they say, oh, it's really expensive because right. I only paid £10 over here. And, you know, no. But, they uh, but this is one of the things that uh, cloud's driving, isn't it? Is this this need for transparency. I and love it. cost centres have generally been very opaque and does an organisation really understand its cost centre? It but doesn't. now with this unpredictable spend or potential unpredictable spend, suddenly you need this visibility and that's a real culture shock to many organisations. And it's really scary as well to many organisations because they get the visibility and then they're scared of what oh, they're seeing. No, absolutely. Didn't know that cost that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, that's, and a lot of the conversations I have with my business areas are, how are you going to protect me against mm. overspending? And I get, depending on how well I know them and how strong my relationship is, <laughs> I go down the route of going, well, I'm not going to be protecting oh, you, you but I will give it. you the skills <laughs> to protect yeah. yourself. We often use the phrase that um, the FinOps team really is about holding a mirror up to the teams that are consuming the cloud. Mm -hmm. that's, that's our role. Hold up, provide that transparency, map it out, know what they're spending, support them. Yeah, sure, of course, you do the central things and you do the central things well, but... It's culture shift. It's always culture shift. It is enormous. And of course, when, you, when you're talking about money in an organization, it gets very sharp very quickly. Yeah. Um, a lot of FinOps focuses on the overspend that's visible. And, oh, no, we've now got ourselves a position where we've uncovered this cost or we've gone to the cloud and we've had a sharp increase in cost. But actually, how you forward plan your cost and how you consumption plan over time has got to be a very significant component, I think, in what we're doing. So I know recently you, you led a working group on this for the FinOps Foundation. So maybe let's, before we get into that subject, let's talk about what you did in the working group and, and, and what got you guys going on that. Yeah, sort of twofold. There's, um, if I flag the finops.org website, but if you also look at data.finops.org, there's the State of FinOps survey that's done every year. And in that, one of the questions is, what's your pain points? And you're allowed to choose multiple ones. And I think it was two years ago, one of the, wasn't the top runner, but it was the second runner, was forecasting. I found myself also in the position of being asked to say how much for our very large cloud commitments that we were spending up to and how we were tracking against mm. them or how we might be apart from these commitments. I was asked how much we were going to spend. <laughs> Over what period? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> quite a long yeah. period. Yeah. And so I, I was a big deal. So I went out to all the business areas and I did it top down. And it was um, it was a number. Mm. Everyone's happy with the number. Unfortunately, two months later, they asked me for the number again. 
And so I did it from the bottom up this time, right. thinking, because that top down didn't really work. <laughs> and then by the third time I went, there's got to be a better way. I need to And presumably it. each time you were calculating this, the number was getting bigger. Oh, it was yeah. too, but then strategies were changing and our big transformation programs were going, oh, we're going to Google. Oh, no, no, no. I think we're going to Azure. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe half public, half private. Yeah, yeah. So every time there were so many different moving shifting. pieces, people couldn't, the goalposts moved. So it was all right. Nobody yeah. tracked it back. But I couldn't track it back. No, right. I couldn't tell the story of change. So I was really interested in forecasting. I then saw the response from the state of um, FinOps that said forecasting was a real pain point. So we were setting up, a, or the foundation was setting up a working group, and I was a bit like, pick me, pick me, please can I be involved? And at that point, I thought, well, clearly I've done it badly twice. <laughs> Not sure I'm well placed, but I've got a lot to learn here. Um, but it turns out that the richness that you get from forecasting and some people listening might go, yeah, yeah, she's just talking about budgetary forecasting and things. But just to throw a few wins out from having good forecasts, anomaly reporting, people are scared. And they talk about bill shock, but that's kind of after the fact. People want to control it. That's cloud is in the moment. You get, uh, people say, immediate, near real time right. vis visibility of it. How do you know if you're just basing anomalies based on what's happened to date, when you're in a transformation last month, yesterday, last week, doesn't bear any resemblance to next month, next week, tomorrow. Right. It's all right if you're steady state, have on, you know, the machines can run the world. But if you're not, you need to add some knowledge to it. Hmm. So we use our, our forecast that we get in now through a very slick process and we pump them into the cloud providers as budgets, then we run alerts off those budgets. So when somebody says, oh, why are you sending me all these alerts? Because <laughs> they're based on your forecast, really powerful. So you made a distinction in that description between a financial forecast and, and, and consumption forecast. Yeah. So just for those of us who haven't done as much of this, uh, could you just set out the what is that distinction and, and what are the components of consumption forecasting that are different? And so this might, this might be an Alison thing and, and just from my background, but our budgets are done through a financial cycle. And it's, you know, we, we've talked today, for those who haven't been here today, mm. but we've talked today a lot about the CFO lens. Our financial budgets are run through a whole different process mm. and then people are cloud consuming. That will be part of their financial budget. So the financial not cycle, one and the same thing. The financial cycle in this case is presumably like a 12 month cycle yeah. based maybe off a three year plan or something along those lines. For us, yeah, but yeah. Right. So, but that was the lovely thing running the working group because I'd speak to people who use the, the term forecast and budget interchangeably. Right. Your lunatics. Those are two <laughs> different things. Two it's obvious. <laughs> exactly. But that's the lovely thing of getting involved in the in the foundation is that you get that much broader perspective. It's not just your own little world. And even if your world's quite big, there's such a mix, a mm. huge, like full the US government stuff and how they do things. So it was so we wrote a playbook on how to forecast. Right. Um I sort of threw everything out of my head on paper and well. So what, what, are the and what are the components of the model? Oh, they're all about things to consider. Um, what 
what's important to consider at the beginning. So as an example, your granularity. Work out what level of granularity you want to go down to up front, because otherwise you have to go. If you change your mind and you want more granular, you have to start right back at square one. Mm -hmm. Whereas your frequency, you can change your frequency. Your process is still there. And it's the, the elements of how might you measure, what KPIs might look like. There's quite a few user stories in there. One of mine that um, I was reminded of yesterday that seemingly is requoted quite a lot is I say to, to my customers when they say, I don't know what to forecast, Alison. I don't, you know, they're new customers, they're coming, they're onboarding. And before they even get on the cloud, I'm like, oh, what's your forecast? Hmm. And I write hmm. in my book. Um, not my book, my digital book. Um, and I said, well, I don't know. I saw. Well, do you think you're ready to come to cloud mm. if you don't know? Have you got a design? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a design. Put it in the calculator. Yeah, but I might forget something. You might forget something. It's not the end of the world because mm. I'm not holding you to account on this number. I want you to think about it. I want you to put a stake in the ground and then when you start getting your actuals through, I want you to be a good citizen and compare them against where your stake was. And then you know what? You can move your stake because mm. you're learning. And that's how I, I tried to sort of gently tap into the culture shift without saying to them, oh, it's a culture shift. Because right. there's nothing right. more yeah. likely to turn them. people off when you're telling them that they've got to change their culture. It's like, just have a shot. If you want me to help you, I'll work through it. But you know what? I don't know your design. And in this process, are you tracking purely kind of on-cloud cost? Are you tracking kind of any additional residual cost in the organization? I know one of, one of the speakers at the conference today uh, talked about, actually, they, they've seen proliferation of FinOps teams themselves across the organization. Mm. So, the, so there's all of these additional additive costs above the cloud. So we, I just ask them for what they are going to consume based on what infrastructure or services that they will spin up in the cloud. Uh -huh. I then ask them to obviously put VAT on it, because in the UK, everything we pay VAT on. But I also ask them to put an uplift on it that covers what I term my shared costs. So those are things like Express Route, Dynatrace, oh, support. And I manage that centrally so that I've got my shared cost uplift so nobody ever gets a surprise. I have this real abiding drive that says I will not, if, I had to word this, I should have it more down pat, shouldn't I? No, that, fine. That the consumer is the one that affects their spend. Mm -hmm. So let me explain what I kind of mean by that. So if I, if I had £100,000 worth of shared costs, and I happened to have 10 business areas. And then the next month I had 11 business areas and my shared cost was still much the same. The share of that shared cost, if I did just divided by 10, divided by 11, those customers haven't changed, they're my customers, those consumers haven't changed any of their behaviors, any of their consumption, but their bill has changed. There might be people out there going, brilliant, my bill's gone down. Right. I work in an organization where it's bad to come in both under and over budget for right. some bizarre reason. 0.5% <laughs> I know. So it's, I think that 
Therefore, if you do a percentage, so for every pound you spend that you have chosen to spend on infrastructure X or code Y, that you it's always uplifted by this percent. Hmm. Our central team, our, our wider CCOE, carry the risk of managing that budget against all of our shared costs. So that's how we sort of get around some of the proliferation of the other costs. Got it. Got it. And, and, and you mentioned um, culture. No. And, and Rob, I know you've got some um, observations on, on the cultural change around FinOps. So I wonder if you'd share some of that. So there's the, the, the point we discussed earlier about making things transparent. Yeah. For financial processes, that can be a difficult thing and having an uncomfortable conversation about true spend. Well, on your journey, you talk about this iteration of maturity and getting better and better top down. Then you tried the bottom up and then the sort of take a punt and we'll get better on the variation. What's the sort of time scale you, you, you've done that through very large organisations? It feels like it was quite a period to get through that sort of mind shift to say, right, we're going to make things transparent. We're going to have a conversation about this and it's going to be continuous. Is that a sort of... Yeah, I would... Uh, it's funny because you... Like me saying to them, put a stake in the ground and you can always keep moving it. I'm always moving my stake. Yeah. So not only has my my forecasting process changed, but my, my engagement across the whole business has changed and so short answer is probably about a year yeah but i would say it's never finished until nine months in i never reported on their accuracy never once they asked me mm. how accurate am i don't worry about accuracy if they're it's not beyond the wit of anybody to look at their spreadsheet that they gave in last month and the actuals right. this right. month, you know. But then I was like, no, no. I, I checked it. I'm measuring myself on... It's a funny thing. I measure myself and my team on, on someone else's numbers and someone else's accuracy. But that's a measure of my success in supporting them. Yeah, and it, fe it feels like it was an uncomfortable thing at the beginning. But does it get better oh, and people it. start to get into it and then they start some to embrace it? Yeah. Yes, some are really great. And they, oh, I'm really sorry I was out by 20p or something. I love those people. Um, <laughs> you have the other teams that say, oh, yeah, yeah, I did my podcast in January. I'm like, no, we're going to come and speak to you every single month. And they don't understand the why. Mm -hmm. So I gave you the explanation of um, how we use it for anomaly detection and reporting. We also use it for wider reporting. We use it for scaling our our skill set and our resources in the CCOE. You know, there are a lot of reasons why. And also, it is their protector. Mm -hmm. You know, and it makes them think about it. So, so one of the cultural things that I observe in a number of different areas of cloud and that you've just touched on it is is that issue of frequency. So moving from, mm -hmm. well, I did, my, I did my forecast and my plan for a year. Um, I'll see you next January. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> versus I'm going to see you in three weeks' time and we're going to talk about it again. So how, how have you coached teams through that process? And how did you handle resistance in that process? Oh, I think it's fair to say I'm still handling resistance. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to go in with that collaborative approach. I didn't want it to be, I'm going to tell your boss on you <laughs> because you've not put a no, forecast it's in. It's only going to go so uh, far. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are still some who consistently don't respond, but to the point we we're just making about the evolution of what we're doing, I'm now looking at 
you know, instead of just saying out of, we've got about 120 people we go out to forecast every month. Out of the 120, we used to be getting maybe 40% response rate. I called that a win because we used to get nobody. Yeah, I was say, could be worse. You know, yeah, exactly. It's trending up. And then we were we we're up about 75% now in the mm. last sort of four months. Right. And then when you look at actually, that tells a story, that tells a story from a, a people, a volume of people perspective. But what is? how does that translate to volume of spend? How does that translate to volume of accounts? Because if there's a couple of not so good citizens out there that have only really got a couple, you know, dev test accounts that they've tried and they don't really care about mm. and the and the citizens that are good and are responding and are reviewing it if they've got the hundreds of accounts happy days mm. then my percentages are up at like 93 94 so 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 with that progress what would you say the organizational conversation is now so we've talked a bit about the journey and the difficulties of of creating the framework and then driving through some of the culture change in process. Has that now changed the organizational conversation? Do people understand some of the, the dynamics um, in a more sophisticated way? I think we're still, I mean, we're still quite early on our journey. It's um, work in a highly regulated um, banking industry. And it takes a long time. And we've had our strategy set and reset quite a few times. So... Yes, in areas. One of our very big areas is our data team, and we've got so much data mm, and mm. great big old data warehouses that we're, we're bringing onto the Google Cloud. They are all over it because they are what I call a shared service. I could charge them, but actually their data is being used by other areas within the bank, and somebody who sits in mortgages could cause their costs to double and they would never know. But I'm asking them for forecast. How the heck are they going to know what mortgage? So we're then getting that hub and spoke model out with them. They are super engaged. Right, right. But as you as you learn the power of cloud, it can create more curiosity. So data mm. curiosity is one. And suddenly you start running these really big queries against data sets and you get this unpredictable spend. And I think people are still learning about the, I can... Uh, model a server, it will cost me X, it will cost me Y, I can change it. But then there's this, if I run a complex algorithm and I don't know how long it's going to take to process, how do I cope with forecasting when it could be potentially chaotic results? Yeah. Have you got a view on how you can maybe cope a bit better with that? I don't, I don't quite know. I really know. don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just plug something into the calculator. Um, uh, we don't have answers, if I'm, I'm completely honest. We're working through it. We're working really... Our data's gone to Google, them mm. being quite good at data. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm probably allowed to say that. It's on record. <laughs> <laughs> they are working really closely with us, and we're looking at those options for quotas, but quotas that don't adversely affect. Yeah. Good work. You don't want to stop something good. Yeah, you just yeah. want to be aware that it might be driving costs but, you weren't expecting. But I must admit, it it really shines a light on where your cultural journey has taken you to, mm -hmm. how people are responding to you, and and I my litmus test is the level of fear that they're talking with. How are you going to protect me? What what, what about this? What about that? And you mm. go, oh, you. 
Whereas I have other business areas and okay, they've started small. They didn't lash loads of cash on great big things, but they've moved things from some of our um, IBM sandbox environments, some from Oracle on, and they've now got numbers to see that their costs have gone down. So back to the the earlier point we're making about that total cost of ownership. And it comes up probably every month in my world. Oh, tell me what it was over here. And I'm like... I know you badly want that because that's at the heart of a business case, but actually you're going to spend the next 12 months having, I'll give you a fact packet with rough numbers on you and I promise it probably won't be that far away from it. People want exact numbers so that you can compare exact. Sometimes you just got to take a bit of a leap of faith. You've got to make sure it stacks up enough in order to launch and then start monitoring it, then start looking at the the extra benefits, the agility, the... The transparency in itself brings so much benefit. Are you seeing engineering teams step up to their responsibilities in this? To use to use Rob's example from earlier, where a team might be doing a big data exploration, so they've got a lot of extra capacity spun up, a lot of extra processing power spun up. Are they are they building into their code ways to actually look after that financially yet? I'm not seeing that. It seems like immaturity step that we're maybe not at yet as an industry i would say so i think so through the foundation i do hear people speak about this stuff Mm. you think whoa (laughs) they're really cool (laughs) but they are probably also people who are maybe more born in the cloud Mm. Mm. um also very very devops orientated instead of maybe getting infrastructure and out dev people moving to the cloud. You know, there is a shift. And yeah. I'm not yeah. saying there's a lack of capability, but you do take that historic way of working. The culture shift no, is hard. No, you take, it, you you take it with you. We're all shaped by our history. Oh, that's right. So I I am seeing some really clever stuff, and the, but those tend to be those born in the cloud because the engineers are engineering for money. Not necessarily startups, but startups, they then pay loads of attention to it and it's smaller so you can see it, then it grows and you've already got a handle on it. Mm. You start with that ingrained. I think it works a lot better and it just, it's mm. slick. It's amazing to see, you know, and we talk, everybody always battles around the Netflixes and those, mm. you know, they're really huge now, the real born in the cloud um, companies because they do this really well and yeah. everything's code and everything's monitored and everything's automated, including the cost. They're all over it. But I think it's actually really hard for organisations and especially regulated organisations who have got a data centre. So we talked loads about the cultural shift, but there's like layers of cultural shift, isn't there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the the point you make about taking infrastructural engineers into the cloud is very well made because they bring with them an internal tick speed about mm-hmm. how things work and how things operate. And actually, when you look at a, a cloud transformation, you change the governance layer, you change the financial model, yeah. you change the ways of working. All of these things are often in service of getting to a faster tick speed. You know, But what people perhaps don't recognize with that is that the attention to detail and the speed with which you have to then kind of iterate some of your assumptions or some of your forecasts also increases in speed. Does that make sense? You, can't leave, you can't leave it a year out. Or even a month. 
Well, we, you know, you hear stories, don't you? Somebody forgot to switch something off on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. That's 30 yeah. grand come yeah. Monday. Yeah. Um, at least they know it's 30 grand come Monday, right? But That's I, a bad Monday, though, isn't it? I Waking know, up to yeah. that really going, do we get rubbish start to the week, oh, that graph with the big peak <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the Whoops. red zone, isn't it? You know, we talk about getting engineers to take action. Engineers and, and SRE is a, a site reliability engineering. Sorry, I try hard not mm. to use acronyms, mm. but I'm my own worst enemy. And that move of those that develop, support, and run, basically. Yeah. Sorry to anybody, sorry, listening. And I've probably mangled that, but that's what it is in, in my simplistic view. That they need to develop, support, run, monitor, check the cost hmm. all the time. So I was talking about our big um, our data program that's running. And they were running some of the vast, I wish I should have, I'll come back for a second series and I'll have numbers of petabytes. But, they, you know, over this sort of three-week period, they were doing huge data loads and, and realising that their design needed more oomph because it was taking a lot longer than planned. So they threw in more. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, the cloud allows you to do that. Magic. Costs quadrupled. Right. They were all over it. And they were saying to me, do you know, Alison, that if I look at the costs at nine o'clock, one o'clock in the afternoon, and then I look at them for yesterday at nine o'clock the next morning, they go up and then they go back down. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, because as you use more, you then maybe get your discounts and everything. But it's that idea of, I loved it. It yeah. was, I could spend all day with the data team because they care. They're all over it. They ask the hardest questions. There. It's become a dynamic conversation at that stage. Yeah, because engaged then in what to they're your doing. earlier questions, yeah, they're oh. right at it. Yeah, yeah. So I want to just bring the conversation to a bit of a close with a couple of words on how you link the consumption forecasting aspect of what we've been talking about to some of the bigger cost optimization concerns mm. that we've been talking about today. There was a discussion earlier around whether you could um, automate, say, the reduction of cloud footprint. And actually, I think a, a lot of the organizations that are in the conversation today felt that that was maybe still a step too far. So how, how close are you, do you think, as an industry, given the amount of lift and shift that's still gone mm -hmm. on? So we know there's not a lot of hugely optimized workloads out there of being able to connect your consumption forecasting model to sort of automated management of environments? So I'll probably split that into two. The, the automation bit, my, my feeling is that we should automate as much of those optimization recommendations as possible. Mm -hmm. But it shouldn't ever be done centrally by the FinOps team. It's not the FinOps workloads. We want to have a partnership and collaboration with our engineering teams, we don't go do stuff to their stuff. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so technical. Technical words, yeah. Um, yeah. Technical words. Like keep it basic. Yeah. You know, it's just, <laughs> first off, I, I, you can maybe tell my voice, I just find that incredibly rude. Hmm. But I do feel equally strongly about, and here is my, here is my automated tooling, my hmm. nugget, whatever it is. And I expect you engineering team to use it because I have made, I have taken all the difficulty out of it. I've removed all the, oh, I don't want to be busy on this. 
I've almost done the automation in a pocket that they can apply. There you go, there's your code, go automate, and it's for this. And I've got a library of them and do them. It's just agility, isn't it? Do it at the smallest level so that they can mix and match. So bringing that back into forecasting, though, when you're looking more at the rate optimization as opposed to the usage optimization, the forecasting, because in the main, I might even go so far as to say, rate optimization should always be done centrally. I don't believe in it being done by hmm. the individual engineering teams out there. Even if you are just doing buying a reservation on one subscription that is owned by the business area, I, don't, I just strongly personally don't believe that's right. I think is that because of the be economies of scale? Well, there's not necessarily economies of scale because if you only buy it at the individual subscription, you don't get to share the risk. And I've bought both. I've bought enterprise-wide and, and at the individual. And I'll tell you what, it's a hell of a lot easier to do it at the individual because the costs that land in the individual, they pay for its transparency. As soon as you buy it at the enterprise, it's a pig because it can land anywhere. Anybody mm. gets the benefits. Back to my point about how can their bill change if they've not changed anything. Oh, that messes with my head. Right. But when you're looking at the enterprise or the potential for enterprise-wide reservations or savings plans. It's really good. You've got to go speak to everybody. It's kind of slow. Because hmm. you don't know whether they're going to stay on that. Don't open yourself up to that risk. But your first step, if you've got good forecasts, it's like, oh, okay, I see that they're only growing. I'm definitely going to go speak to them. Right. You know, it doesn't give you the exact answer, but it's it's at your fingertips. I'm a big believer in have as much data it, as I can. Create a I context speak to for people. the conversation yeah. that didn't exist before. And I can go out and I can say, oh, I see that. Oh, you're pretty steady state, or well, you're staying the same. I was, I would, I'm seeing this recommendation. I think we should lock in at this. This is what it would save you. Are you really going to go for three years? Hmm. Yada yada. But it. I go in more informed as well, which also gains their respect a bit more. It's always, always that loop. Very good. Thank you, Alison. That is a good point to pause and see. Shalke, if we've got any audience questions. Yes, we received a lot of good questions. Yes. Excellent. So the first one, what would your advice be for companies that get started with FinOps? What would be the first steps they should take? So if you're already in the cloud, so you've already got cloud spend, you need to know who is responsible for that spend. It's all about visibility. Um, Different ways to do that. We've talked about tagging and things, but you can't. I know I know you could go and optimise, but back to the point about, I think it's wholly inappropriate for the FinOps team to be optimising somebody else's workload. So you kind of got to know who owns them to have the conversation. Keep it simple, though. I would, if you're not quite in the cloud and you're going to the cloud and you're in that you're in that nice organizational situation where you're actually setting everything up in advance i'm not sure i'm speaking to anybody in that position but i would strongly advise finops team or somebody being a, a an approver i hate to make it too archaic but part of that onboarding journey so you know that it's 
Johnny from marketing who's spinning up this and if you've got a naming convention you can link them back or Johnny's going to use tags like this so you can link them back but build something in from the start that will allow you to align your spend mm -hmm. and I'm a believer in doing it by organisation and down to workload very good you know because there's always workloads if possible map it into your CMDB have it as your application ID if you do that from the beginning because I tell you what there's a heck of a lot in most organisations I know there's a lot more control over changes on the CMDB and whatever tool you have that in that's you know that's 20 years before us yeah well and from a cultural perspective what would mm. you advise be where to start and when as soon as possible mm -hmm. absolutely as soon as possible um I think everybody should speak about it all the time, but I'm really boring and it, It's certainly a pre-migration conversation. I think that's 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 clear for me. Which is, so many organisations get into migration and then start to think about it because they think they know what the cloud is going to be like. Mm. So for me, it always feels like actually one of the first two or three things you should be talking about is actually the change in the financial management of the situation. I would agree. But I would also say there's sort of two, there's two extremes to that. You can just, so long as you choose one knowingly, mm -hmm. would be my guidance. You can choose to almost wait till you get bill shock or close to bill shock, because then what do you know? There's your business case in a box for doing FinOps and people are going to listen to you and pay attention to you because they want to. It's kind of a bit risky, isn't it? So. Let it go so almost off the rails. To trial recover. by fire, and then you learn fast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, th <laughs> there is there is something to be said for that, because otherwise people are like, we're trying to run a transformation, and what are you doing in my ear? We have to remember that there are a lot of other priorities, and FinOps is really, really important, but it's actually not the top priority. I can't believe I'm saying that. Oh, I, I cannot believe that's come out of that. Not on a day like in, today. In, in my world, it is the most important thing. But in an engineer's world, or in a program manager's world, or in a huge digital transformation, but you've got to know what your organization's what is, or the why. Why does it matter? For mine, we've got financial control all over the place and how are you going to protect me <laughs> you want me to protect you you've got to give me finance if your why is go hard and go fast and just get it into the cloud and we'll clean up the rubbish later maybe not maybe maybe use that as your leverage you mentioned that finops might not be top of mind for transformation teams but i think something that's top of mind for Society at the moment is the link to sustainability. Show. Yeah, yeah, I'm, and I'm very curious. There is a, a strong connection between FinOps and yeah. sustainability. So, what is the FinOps Foundation doing on so, that topic? Um, at the last European summit that we had oh, a couple of months ago, it came up and it was part of the panel discussion. And wholeheartedly, the room agreed that green ops, as as we were calling it, should absolutely sit as part of the FinOps function. Hmm. Because, you know, if you optimise, you either, okay, if you rate optimise, you're spending less. Yeah, I get that's not getting you any greener. But if you usage optimise, mm -hmm. all of that's got 
a COT measure against it. Mm. It's a win every time. So, and then what I'm seeing is that companies that might not like to publicly say how much they've saved through optimization will actually really happily say how yeah. much they've saved in yeah, CO2 right. yeah. through optimization. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I think they're utterly linked and I think it's it comes down to data and visibility and if FinOps is advising and guiding and part of that um, helping people make the right decision to choose the right services yes maybe with a cost lens but why can't it just be a different lens it's still it's mm. just it's data but they're so interlinked so a great point, I think, to end today's conversation on one of the biggest problems of our yeah, time, the sort of tooling we've been talking about all morning can actually actively help with. Yes. So, Alison, thank you so much for sharing your experiences right. and giving us some background on the FinOps Foundation. We end every episode of our show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. So, Alison, what are you excited about doing next? Well, in five weeks' time, I get to go to Kruger in South Africa. Um, so I'm hugely excited about yeah, very that nice. because I have to say... I love the zebras yeah. and I love the giraffes and every single Go one I say five. every time I see them I'm like oh, I love zebras I love giraffes so, <laughs> and and it's a, a rescheduled holiday that we were meant to go in in October so it's been a long time coming so well we wish you great. all the very best good wine down yeah. there in South Africa too yeah and a good exchange rate like honestly you've, it? it's peak it's oh yeah it's excellent exchange rate right now awesome you can have a good spend. time yeah right okay so a huge thanks to our guest this week, Alison. Thank you so much for being on the show. The production team here in London and our sound and editing wizard, Ben. And of course, to all of our listeners. So we're on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week.